0: In such a way that shows that we understand just how marvelous, how wonderful your love for us is. And so, Lord, help us to worship in that way. Help us to worship in, in spirit and in truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you would grab one of these... Um, little blue cards. We call it a connection card. We'd love to know if you're worshiping with us today, maybe for the first or second time, we'd love to know who you are and how we can minister to you. So please do that. There's prayer requests as well. And then I'm going to have to look back here to see what's next. Uh, Is it Bethlehem? Okay. So a little bit of a prolonged Bethlehem announcement. So bear with me. Uh, First of all, Praise praise the Lord! You guys have been handing these out uh, at a at a wonderful rate. I only see maybe 50 uh, back there to hand out. So go ahead and grab those, get those handed out. Uh, the rest of the week. Uh, speaking of Bethlehem, if you're if you're in uh, Bethlehem, we need you in costume. In here at 5:30 tonight, so no no worship tonight, just Bethlehem practice. So in here at 5:30, uh, uh, costume helpers will be available from 4:45 on. So if you need to come and get some help, you come early. But in here at 5:30, uh, w- ready to uh, ready to rehearse. Uh, wear layers. If you've not been out in Bethlehem before, let me repeat: wear layers. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll get good practice tonight on on the cold. Another thing, please, please pray for uh, you know God, God. He's in charge of the weather. We know that, right? So, and we know that He's going to not have one person miss the gospel that He wants to get the gospel to. Amen. So it's it's totally up to Him. But if we could just nudge Him a little bit, <laughs> uh, uh, let, let's pray. Let, let's pray that he would uh, sh- uh, just uh, let the weather uh, be beautiful this, uh, this weekend, Thursday through Sunday, so that we can get the gospel to as many as humanly possible. Amen. So please pray uh, to that end. And then one last thing. Oh, nope. Yes, giving Christmas. Be sure if you're not involved in giving Christmas yet uh, that you get signed up for that. And uh, Blake and probably Danielle will be out in the connection center. Uh, if you need, to, if you, if you want to get help uh, or want to help in uh, giving Christmas, so please uh, get information on that. They'll be in the connection center. You can get information on that. Well, you guys are still standing. Sorry, and um, and on on a personal note, everybody, uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, Mom went to be with the Lord around uh, Easter, and then Dad, just Monday, right before Thanksgiving, and um, just thank you. Thank you on uh, for for all your calls, and your text, and your emails, and your personal contacts. Um, but as I was thinking about that, thank you most of all for, I, I've probably either attended or sang at, hundreds of your all's uh, moms and dads' funerals. And I know by heart, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, that uh, God uh, doesn't let us grieve as those who have no hope. But I've not had to do that on my own. But I've seen it in your lives. And I've learned so much by seeing you go through what my family's gone through this year, and uh, that means a lot. I learned from you, and God bless you for that. that I think that's one of the reasons a church body is a church body, isn't it? Yeah. That we learn from one another, we we, we we grow with one another, we see the strengths in one another, and, and we take that on ourselves. And God bless you for showing me that and living that out. Thank you so much. Well, as we proceed for worship today, we're going to get into uh, Hebrews 2 And uh, let's just read the first part of that. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And so this song is going to remind us of that reliable message that the angels proclaimed. together. Lord God, we come before you now in this time of uh, offering, tithes and offerings, Lord, and we just pray that you would bless each and every gift, each and every giver. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of giving back to you with what you blessed us with, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Think about his love,
1: think about his goodness.
0: To think reminds us to remember. Because if we don't, what happens? We, we drift away. Another scripture that reminds us to think about lofty and worthy things is Philippians 4, 8. Let's read it together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. my voice can remember a time where this next verse happened to you. I still remember
2: All right, let's make our way to Hebrews chapter 2. Some of you thought we'd never get there, right? Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. The title of our sermon today is The Message of Great Salvation, subtitled The Seriousness of Christian Commitment. So consider those two things. The message of our salvation, how great it is, And the seriousness of Christian commitment. This is the word of the Lord. Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect, neglect such a great salvation? And he's going to tell you about this salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Distribute it according to His will. Over the past year, our church family has witnessed, not all of you, but many of you at certain times, have witnessed uh, the marriages, the weddings of several young folk. I can look around and see some of you. And uh, we're thankful. I think there's been five or six young couples married over the past year or so. Uh, let's suppose that one of the couples, I didn't want to pick on just one of them, but let's suppose that one of the couples chose to go to Niagara Falls on their honeymoon. Now, again, I've never been there. I know these dynamics don't always work out the way I'm telling you, uh, or it's even possible, but the illustration works, so you've got to listen to me, okay? If you've been to Niagara Falls and you know this is not a possibility, just for some of you kids who have watched Emperor's New Groove, right? Then you'll, you'll recognize floating down a river over a waterfall, so just... Lock in. So let's say they chose to go there for their honeymoon. But suppose their goal was to desire, or they desire to float down the river, take a canoe ride, perhaps it was in a lake that is similar to a moving body of water, but it leads over a falls. Now, before embarking on their journey, they meet a man and his family, and they're not a stranger to this location, whether it be Niagara Falls or anywhere else. As a matter of fact, they go on vacation there quite often. And so upon hearing of the newlyweds' plans, the man feels it necessary to share a few facts about how to navigate safely. He gives them some tips about how to avoid destruction as they get into their life and love boat. Right? The fact is, he wants them to consider how easy it would be to drift beyond return. So they listen to him, but as young marriages often do, they pay little attention to what he says. All right? So they reason within themselves. This is an old man. He's probably unhappily married, and he wants to suck all the fun out of our outing in our love boat. Imagine that this man and his family a little later are enjoying a meal near the falls when all of a sudden here's this young couple drifting toward destruction. And so, realizing what is going on, the man shoots up from his chair. He cups his hand over his mouth and he screams, Turn back! Now! Turn back. The newlyweds, of course, are unable to hear because of the sound of the water crashing over the falls. And so, one of two ways will define how this turns out. And you know it, right? They will not hear and they'll plummet to their destruction. Or they will hear the warning and begin to turn back to their salvation. The man standing on the shore giving the call is giving a merciful warning. Keep in mind, this is a merciful warning. To just sit there and eat his potato salad and drink his Diet Coke without saying a word would be cruel, would it not? It would be cruel for him just to think to himself, wow, they're headed over the falls. In just a few moments, they're going to go to their destruction. So in that case, this is a warning that is a warning of love. It's the right thing to do. Well, aren't we all familiar with the fact that the Bible gives us warnings? Uh, one popped in my mind just before I came into the service, and it's Romans 11:22. Just listen to it. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. You put those two things together, kindness, but severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So we hear this, we hear the warnings. So, Hebrews have five warning passages and we're going to see them all as we go through the book of Hebrews. And this is the very first one. Now, none of us like to be confronted. No one comes to my office, office and says, Hey preacher, go ahead and confront me. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because a warning touches us at the level of our pride, doesn't it? It kind of punches us in the gut and it knocks the wind out of us. And it grabs us by the collar. And it necessitates a self-examination. But I want to remind you with this warning, it's not God's desire to wound you or plunge you into distress, but to graciously warn you of the potential danger of drifting. Is everybody on board with that? That's the goal of this. It's a loving purpose of our God. And He's shouting to us with a loving purpose. At times we need the gentle presence of a bit and a bridle. Yet at other times we need the sharpened spurs of warning. And hear me folks, this is a reality in the U.S. like none other. The reality of not paying attention and the reality of drifting. So, God is lifting his hands to his mouth today in kindness. And if you're drifting today, he's telling you, turn back turn back Uh, in reality there is no other place to turn because there's salvation in no other name it's only the Lord Jesus Christ so the warning in this passage is that we might become indifferent toward the serious the seriousness of our commitment to Christ and the gospel our trust in the Lord and in light of Hebrews 1 he's a pretty awesome person right? He's accomplished a pretty awesome work for us. So, the passage is rendered with this kind of force. We must pay the closest attention to what we have heard. And what have we heard? We've heard a grand exposition that I preached through, I don't know how many sermons, but a lot. And it was Hebrews 1, 1 through 14. And that is what we're supposed to pay attention to. So let me give you a few exegetical things that I think are important for you to think through it. And then I'm just going to give you two points and we're done today. Can y'all handle that? Now, I I think this is necessary, All right. So the section continues the theme of God speaking. You see verse 1? Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke. Okay, chapter 2. Therefore we must pay a closer attention to what we have. Are y'all listening? Don't make me do the exegetical part twice, okay? Pay attention to what you've heard. So there's incredible continuity with chapter 2, verse 1, with with chapter 1, verse 1. So it's what God has spoken, and now it is you pay attention to what I've spoken and what you've heard. Okay? So that's important for us to think about. It presents the severe consequences of not paying attention to God's final word. Which is who? The Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message. So there's a switch in chapter 2 to what we would call exhortation. In all of chapter 1, you're not commanded to do anything. It's indicative after indicative about who Christ is. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact express image of His nature. He's God. There's, it's just us being drowned in the glory of Christ. With no exhortation. But when you get to chapter 2 verse 1. You're exhorted. As a people. To pay attention. To what you've heard. About the glory of Christ. So the writer is referring to the entire argument. And he's doing what's called a deduction. After you've heard all this. Something needs to be deduced. In your mind and in your heart. After you've heard the glory of Christ. Then there's something that you're encouraged to do. As a. Believer. So, chapter 2, 2 through 4. You see it? Not the first verse, but beginning in verse 2 down through verse 4. That's one sentence in the Greek. That's a lot. Now, you've got a question mark put in there and you've got periods. But that's supplied for you. But in the Greek, there are no periods and no commas. Okay? That's one long sentence in the Greek. And it's carefully constructed. And it's an argument. The phrase, that which was heard is referring to the initial proclamation of the gospel message. He's speaking to us the gospel through Christ. Hear him. okay? The more closely, as it says in the text, we must pay much closer attention, anticipates the wilderness generation. Y'all remember that? You remember the Israelites in the wilderness who did not listen to the Lord? Well, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4... The is going to talk about that generation of people that God spoke to, but they did not hear. They didn't believe the Lord. So, the word more closely can also indicate a ship that needs to stay on course. Alright, y'all listening? This is all preparatory. I'm plowing the ground to get to the points. Okay, you with me? So, you got to stay on course, and that is contrasted with drifting. So the call, the exhortation, is to pay attention, stay on the course, lest you drift. And another translation is, if you don't pay attention, you will wash away. Okay? So the verb is used in the Septuagint in Proverbs 3.21, where a father exhorts his son not to drift away from the wisdom of the Lord. So again, it reiterates that importance to us to not drift away. Now, drifting is a nautical metaphor. Drifting away from one's course. Now, do you think the people that lived in this time would have known something about sea routes in the Roman Empire? You better believe it. So when they heard drifting, they knew full well what that metaphor was. The audience would have, a, would have recognized that illusion. So, the metaphor also could be describing a ring slipping off a finger. So really in both of those, uh, a ship that's supposed to pay attention to its course that can drift away and wash away or a ring that's on your finger that could easily slip off. Both images underscore the author's concern that there's a real danger that this audience who's hearing this can drift away from the final word which is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message. What causes this? Well, persecution can. Can you imagine what these families dealt with when they were in Judaism and they were bound to the law thinking they could work their way to Christ and then they trusted Jesus and their families were like, who are you? You mean you're a baptized Christian? You're out of the family. And this literally happened to many, many people. It happens around the world. So persecution could, could have pushed them into this and just straight up compromise to sin can do it. Because the book of Hebrews is going to talk about the deceitfulness of sin and turning away from the gospel. So, the word or message spoken refers generally to that gospel proclamation to the audience. The next phrase, you see it? For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. This is all legal terms. So what is the message that proved to be reliable? Are are you tracking with what we've been preaching? What did the angels mediate on Mount Sinai? The law of God. If that mediation of that law was reliable, and it was, the law can't save, but the law is good. It's your schoolmaster to point you to Jesus because you can't be saved by the works of the law. No man will ever be justified. What the law could not do because it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending His Son. Romans 8.3 So, the angels mediated the law of God, and that was reliable. Let's say it this way. It was reliable truth. And what happened if they made an infraction? They were punished. The infraction brought legal ramifications. They sinned. There was was consequences to that. Folks, here's the contrast. How much more is the retribution for those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's final word, and they neglect it or they reject it? You will not escape if you neglect so great a salvation. So that's the sermon. It really is. That's the sermon. How much greater will be the consequences for neglecting that which was... If they received just recompense for the law given by angels how much more so will you get retribution upon yourself and not escape if you reject the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ which is greater which is the only thing that can actually save you that's the message of chapter 1 God has spoken through his son and his son is the creator and sustainer and owner and ruler and redeemer of the world You got to believe in Christ alone for salvation. Okay, now here are the points. Y'all ready? First, we must pay close attention to the message of salvation. Again, the first chapter is about the person and work of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 gives us the first command, our duty. 24 times in the Word of God, we are warned to take careful concern, to be focused, to be consumed. To, take the, to heed the warning regarding who Christ is. So that pay attention, that word, again, refers to possibly a ship approaching a port. It's got to stay on course. It's got to hold course. And the connection with chapter 1 is very important. Chapter 2 begins with, for this reason. Other versions say, or, or, Therefore. In other words, chapter 2 begins by telling us that chapter 1 is the reason for the duty. Are you listening? Chapter 1 tells you the reason. It lays the groundwork for the therefore. We've all heard the expression, when you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. It's there for a reason. So it's tying you to chapter 1. Because God has spoken by His Son in these last days, and because He is the creator and sustainer and owner and ruler and redeemer of the world... And even above angels, therefore, for this reason, you must pay closer attention to what you've heard. So the first command in this book, the first duty mentioned, is that we give heed to the word of God concerning his son. Do y'all hear how important this is? The first thing in this book is not pay attention to the son, labor. Work for him. The first thing is to hear the word. This is not a picture book. It's a word book, right? So the first thing is not, not to labor, but to learn, and to listen, and to heed what the Word says. Now, here's a command that we need to desperately hear in our day, don't we? What do you listen to? Whom do you listen to? Well, God has spoken through His Son. Do you listen to Him? How does your listening to Him compare to your listening to other things? Well, this is important, isn't it? When we want to listen to someone, we make provisions for the one that we want to hear from. If we want to listen to a musical group, you know what our kids do? This thing's called earbuds, airpods, Ad, something. Stick it in your ear. There's all kind of different kinds of things that you use. And if you want to listen, you have to sync it, right? The kids sit there in their cars and they're into their computers before they ever drive off. And I'm like, man, you're just wasting 10 or 15 minutes when you could be going to wherever you got to go to. But they've they got to hear this stuff as they're driving. They take every effort to do this. When I was a kid, if you wanted to be in the kitchen and you wanted to hear a sermon, you had to put a tape player in there. Nowadays, you just lay your iPhone there and the thing just syncs to some woman talking on a computer. And here we are. We're listening to a sermon or listening to something else. In other words, provisions are made for listening. Right? And so, if we want to listen to those things, we make provisions. If we want to listen to the news, we make provisions to hear it. If we want to see something on TV, we make provisions, and on and on it goes. We all want to listen to something, and we make our plans for listening. We go to places to listen, and we do so so that we're not distracted. So how does this compare to our listening to God's final word? How does that compare? How does your listening compare to this particular, which is the most important thing in life, period? The message of the gospel is the most important. It's an issue of life and death. How much do you prepare to hear it? Are you listening to that? Are you making provisions for that? What Hebrews is saying is, here is that in the Christian life, we must make provisions at all times to hear from the Son of God to hear what the Word of God says and we must do this with very close attention you can't treat it casually you can't act as if you already know it all or that you have nothing to gain from listening to Christ in other words there's urgency here literally it says it is exceedingly necessary that we give heed to what we have heard now It is not just an opinion that you can heed it if you want to. Because there's a spiritual crisis in front of you. You see it? You won't escape it if you neglect it. That's a crisis. Do you believe the Bible? Well, we like to pick and choose. And we'd rather not hear this one. But in reality, it's exceedingly necessary. This is a word to all Christians it is exceedingly necessary to give heed to Jesus Christ as the Word of God. So if we choose not to listen to Jesus every day, we choose not to consider Him, fix our eyes on Him, then we're scorning the importance described in this chapter of what it means to neglect such a great salvation. Now, would anybody want to do that? Well, the only reason that I could think of, or one reason... Is that we fail to fix our eyes on Jesus. We take our eyes off Him. And I think uh, we, on the other hand, get these besetting sins that Hebrews 12 will talk about. We get our eyes off the Lord. We get our eyes off the race. We get our eyes off what it really means to be engaged in a race. And we find other things more compelling than Christ to us. So... What should distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian? Is that you've been given a new nature. Are you all awake? If any man be in Christ, he is a new... That's the distinguishing factor. You've got a new nature that's been given to you. And when you have that new nature, you regard Jesus as supremely valuable. So in other words, in many ways... You don't go down this road of drifting if you value him supremely. Are y'all getting this? Are y'all in a Thanksgiving swoon? (laughs) I mean, folks, think about this. What are you valuing? Let me give you a few things to think about. All right? For this reason, we must listen, and we want to listen all the more closely. Did you know that there are enemies of paying attention? And they're numerous. How about just sleeping? Now, again, they were listening to the apostles and the preachers preaching the message of the gospel and hearing it as an audience. Uh Uh-oh. What about you sleepers in the church? Now, I know that some of you take medicine. I'm giving you a pass, but not all of you take medicine. Okay? So, I'm just getting down to the practicality here. Sometimes I feel like I'm on a mission up here just to keep you awake. And we know that. I can't tell you the number of times I have elevated my voice, and you think I'm just screaming. No, I'm trying to get you to wake up, right? So vocal variation. And yeah, if you could see me up here, sometimes when I do raise my voice, you just pff, bolt up, like. <laughs> you know, y'all all heard the joke about the guy in the choir who fell asleep all the time, and uh, his buddy thought he'd play a prank on him. And as he was up there sleeping, it was in the middle of the service, and the preacher was preaching. He goes, the preacher asked for you to close in prayer. And he stands straight up and starts praying right in the middle of the service. <laughs> so you better watch out. That may happen to you, right? All right, here's what I'm saying about sleeping. You need to think about your moral responsibility to hear the Word. All right, that's all I'm saying. If you want to fall asleep in here, you've got a more responsibility. As a matter of fact, Eutychus did this in Acts, and he fell out of the balcony, and he died. I'm not Paul. I'm not Paul, so I'm not going to raise you from the dead. I mean, Jesus did it, not, but you're dead if you fall out of the balcony. It's just the way it is. So sleeping, seriously, it, it is a detriment to us. What about short attention spans? The media has so warped us in this area, It's unbelievable. We live in a culture of sound bites. We want it in minutes, not 45 minutes or an hour. The media has warped us this way. Our kids, and for the most part, even adults, are doing this for hours. They're getting this these sound bites. Uh, we exercise more today with our fingers than anything else, don't we? Uh, most of what we are doing is inconsequential, and it is insane amount of time that we waste are you young people listening it is insane and it really does hinder us from paying attention to the word and the gospel I have to confess to you I went all day Friday and didn't read the scripture and that is a rarity to me but on Thanksgiving I did I did grab my phone in the deer stand and I looked at some scriptures but I was dry I was like Ooh, i got to get back in the rhythm. i got to get back in my office on the mornings. i got to get into the work. Do you ever feel that? Say it loud, right? So, attention spans. We just get, we get disruptions. And sometimes I think there are demonic disruptions. I think sometimes when we open up the cell phone, it says 666. Right? Uh, what about just plain laziness? Most of our people today come to church mentally exhausted. And I've told you before... Prepare for Sunday. Don't burn it all the way up to midnight on Saturday and come in and think that you're going to be a... God can override all of our stupidity and laziness, right? But at the same time, much preparation to hear the Word is on you. It's on you to prepare to hear the Word. So our minds are fried on the weekend. We come in on Sunday and it's very hard for us to be disciplined. So... We have little spiritual discipline in order to be reading it publicly or to worship together or to hear the Word. How have you prepared yourself? If you knew you were going to meet this big dignitary or somebody else that you think is the cat's meow or something, and would you, how would you want to meet them? Overlook. Fool your Bible and not pay attention. No, that's not the way, what you would do. I mean, folks, remember something. You've got an audience before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's speaking to you every time we open up this book. He's speaking to you as much is as that's true if Christ manifested himself bodily in this congregation and began to speak to you. That's how much this is the word of God. And so we need to pay attention to it. What about lack of humility? James says, receive the word of God in humility. So often we think with arrogance, you can't teach me anything, preacher. I know it all. I've got it all. No, you don't know it all. I don't know it all. And the more you know, the more you don't know. That's the reality. What about paying attention to so many different voices today? Dr. Phil. I'm not talking about me. That's what the Howard boys call me, Dr. Phil. (laughs) I'm talking about the, the dude on TV. What about Oprah? And even Sean Hannity. I mean, as much as I agree with a lot of things that Hannity would say that can't be the main voice you're listening to you got to listen to thus saith the Lord so we can have a preoccupation with all these voices how about avoiding the place of avoiding the place of grace that God has given to you, the church do you understand that God has given you this as grace so that you can hear the word of God don't take that for granted and here's the biggest one of all After we leave on Sunday, we put this book down, and we don't pick it up again until the next Sunday. That's the biggest detriment right there for hearing the Word and paying attention closely to it. All right, here are a few friends of paying attention real fast. Preparation, reception, and digestion. (laughs) Those are good for receiving the Word. You prepare yourself. You receive it. As the word of God. And you digest what the word says. I want to remind you that eternity is at stake. Every time you open up the word of God. Every time you hear me preach it. I'm preaching to people that are either on their way to heaven. Or they're on their way to hell. There is a seriousness about it. And that's what the author is getting us to think about. Our God has promised to meet us through his word. And he can override us for his glories. But most of the time it's totally up to you. And what you bring to the table as far as hearing it. okay? Now I know, again, the initial hearing, that's all God to open up your eyes for understanding to hear. But once you're saved, folks, there's a lot of preparation in there that you need to give and bring to the table in order to hear what the Word of God says to you. Now, um, we'll help cut Satan off at the knees if we'll prepare ourselves a little bit. Get ourselves prepared. And remember, we've got an enemy, Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Many of you will testify that on the way to the church is the times you have the biggest fusses and fights and baby Ajax is hanging off the ceiling and you're you're in disarray and you come into the church and you're like, whew, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, right? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. I can't keep the bird from flying around my head, but I can keep him from making a nest in my hair. That's good, right? That's good stuff. So we need to be mindful. All right, number two. So first, we need to pay attention to the message. And second, we need to give heed to the warning not to drift away. Do you hear that? The Bible says, lest we drift away. If we don't do this, if we don't pay close attention, we will drift away into destruction. Consider this word drifting. Uh, It can mean, I know we touched on it exegetically, but it can mean to float by. It's what we think about when we see a piece of bark, or a leaf, or a dead fish floating in a current. It floats by the boat, and as the boat is being rowed up the stream. You know, it doesn't take any motion motion, to drift. You only need to do nothing to drift. You're going to float by if you do nothing. And again, it refers to a ship that is gently carried away and off course. Now, here's what I know about that. That's a gradual indifference when it happens. Are you listening to me? This is a gradual indifference. It's often imperceptible. It's not like someone has a gun to your head and they say, We want you to denounce Christ right now instantaneously. That's not what happens. When we drift away, it is gradual and it's often unnoticeable. Are you all listening? It's gradual, it's unnoticeable. There are so many currents of opinions and attitudes in this world that causes us to drift away. Hebrews says that if we do not diligently pay close attention to the Word of God, we'll float by. We will drift away from God's Word. And everybody in this building, in some form or fashion, you know someone who's done this. They've drifted away from the Word of God and they're no longer hearing the voice of God. They're no longer in a church. They no longer hear the Word of God. And there's no urgency. In their lives, there's no vigilance. There's no focusing and listening. There's no placing and fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12. And the result has not been standing still, but drifting away. You understand there's no standing still. And he's saying they're drifting. That's the point here. There's no standing still. The life of this world is not a lake, it's a river. And there's no standing still. There's no position called park. There's nothing required to drift. And it's a downward destruction. So if you don't earnestly listen to the Lord Jesus Christ and daily fix your mind and thoughts upon him hourly, then you will not stand still. You'll go backwards. You will float. Many of you hear me, but in your mind you're thinking, Preacher, stay out of my business. That's my business. Grammatically, I'm wrong saying this, but this is the way you would say it to me. Me and Jesus got this thing all worked out. We're fine. And what immediately when you say you've got it worked out with him, then you're defining him the way you want him to be and not what this says. Right? We're good at that. It's once been said, God made man in his own image, and we've since tried to return the favor. And we have. And so we've got to listen. So drifting is a deadly thing in the Christian life. We all know this because we see people who drift away. We pray against this. And the remedy according to Hebrews 1 and 2 is to pay attention to the final word, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's obvious. There is salvation in no other. You can't move away from Him. That is, consider what God is saying in His Son. Fix your eyes on what God is saying. Fix your eyes on Christ. Now, it occurred to me That this is not a hard stroke to learn. To swim against the stream of sin and indifference. Now there are some strokes that are hard to learn. This is not a butterfly or a backstroke. This one's pretty easy. The only thing that keeps us from swimming like this is when our own sinful desires get in the way. Right? When we take our eyes off Christ and we begin to float with other interests But let us not complain that God has given us a hard job. He's just asking you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He's asking you to make sure you're listening to what Christ says. Consider, fix the eyes. This is not a hard job description, is it? Keep your focus on the living God. Keep your focus on Christ. It's a solemn invitation. Here's the best way to say it. It is a solemn invitation to you as a Christian to be satisfied with Christ. We don't need all these other things in the world that pull us away. We don't need these sinful desires. Are we going to have them? You better believe it. Is there going to be a fight and a wrestling and a mortification of sin all the way to glory? Absolutely. But the goal of this text is for you to be satisfied with Jesus. And don't be lured downstream with things that don't matter. Keep your focus on Christ. Don't let deceitful desires take you off course and take you downstream. Any old dead fish can float with the current. It takes one alive to go against it. And so, you're alive in Christ, right? So, neglect is huge in this text. It's a hook word. And it links you from chapter 2, 1 through 4 back with 1, 5 through 14. And it has to do with consequences. If if the Israelites neglected the mediatorial work of God and given the law of God on, ten, on the two tablets of stone and there were consequences for rejecting it, if you neglect the gospel, what's the consequences for you? You won't escape it. That, that's what's going on in this text of Scripture. If we neglect so great a salvation and we drift into the love of other things, then we will not escape. We will perish. And I know what some of you are thinking. I knew you could lose your salvation. That's what I learned when I was a kid. Whether it's AG or Pentecostalism or United Pentecostalism or Methodism, whatever that might be, you learned that you could lose your salvation. Well, that's wrong. My sheep hear my voice and they hurt come to me. If you're not pricked by this message and you're drifting, then you're lost. Are you listening? If you're not pricked in your heart, When I'm preaching the word about drifting. And you're drifting now. But yet you're pricked in your heart. Then you're a sheep and you're hearing his voice. But if you can just drift on. And not heed the warning. And not heed the message. Then you've never had him to begin with. My sheep hear my voice. That is the distinguishing mark. God's true sheep will never lose their salvation. However the distinguishing mark of a sheep. Is that they hear the voice of the Lord. Christ's sheep. Hear His voice. And the Bible says they listen and they follow. So if you start to drift, the Lord Jesus Christ will speak to you through His Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Katie, bar the door. Your antennas go up, and you know that you're drifting. You know you're out of line. And the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word, will move you back in line. That's what happens. Hebrews 10 says that God has preserved those who are saved forever. He does it forever. Hebrews ten fourteen. So, we'll talk about that in chapter 6 in a few years, right? So, the argument given in verse 2 for while we will not escape if we drift away and neglect so, salva- neglect so great a salvation is the words spoken through angels proved unalterable. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. What does that mean? In other words, in the Old Testament economy, God did not yet speak directly through His Son on the earth. He spoke through intermediary messengers. Hebrews said angels were involved in the revelation of God's word. Nevertheless, the firmness of this mediated word was so great that, ev- that neglect of it and rejection of it brought punishment and recompense. Now something much greater has come, folks. God has spoken to us not through angels, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the Incarnation? Aren't you thankful for Christmas? And isn't it awesome the way the Lord works? We're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to go all the way through Christmas with he was made a little lower than the angels. And why he actually came. That works out nicely, doesn't it? We're going to talk about the incarnation as we light the, the advent candles. But here's the deal. Something much greater has come. God himself stood forth in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ and condescended to this earth and lived that life to die for you. He spoke of that great salvation with his lips, with his life, with his death, with his resurrection, and with his glorious ascension. Now the writer says, if you neglect this great word, we're much more guilty than the Old Testament people who disobeyed the word of God given through angels and therefore you will not escape. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. All right, let me apply this and I'm done one characteristic of the baby boomer generation and the X generation and what is it called now? Z is that we have created a society of consumers who are constantly shopping for everything from new material goods to new philosophies to new experiences Right? we maintain commitments in our society we maintain values And institutions, only as long as they fulfill our needs at that moment. This is a society that we're living in. And this has infiltrated the church as well. Vance Havner used to say, the world is so churchy and the church is so worldly, we can't tell the two apart. And that is so true. Many drift because they lack a solid grasp of the gospel. Churches are filled with people who say they're saved, but they don't know the gospel. They heard a preacher preach, they felt something. They walked an aisle, they made a profession without a possession. We played just as I am, they left as they were. I'm serious. This has happened so often in church life. We get these emotional experiences and we think that's salvation. If you haven't put your trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as given to you by this book, concerning who He is, then there's no way you're saved. You're not saved by an emotional response you're not saved by decisions you're saved by Jesus Christ is the one who saves so we want the right worship services because we're spoiled we want the right Bible studies because we're spoiled we want the right children's care because we're spoiled we want the right teen ministry because we're consumers we're drifters and again many people drift because of the lack of knowledge of the gospel and a commitment to a body of believers, right? We're missing these things. The drive for autonomous living, the drive to be in control of my own life and my own destiny. Folks, that is counter to Christian commitment. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. He must disavow his allegiance to self if he's gonna follow me. That's pretty strong, isn't it? If any man would come after me, he has to take up his cross. Total identification with death and crucifixion if he's going to follow me. So the question for most today is not how can I serve the Lord with gladness and serve this community of believers. The question is what can this community do for me? What can God do for me in my self-actualized world? In other words, as long as this God thing and this community thing can help me and keep me together, I'll participate. When that ceases to happen, I'm going to drift somewhere else. We just don't want to take responsibility for our actions, do we? So here's the message. Here's the application. We need to regain a sense of sin. We need to regain a sense of taking personal and moral accountability before God seriously. And that was the subtitle, right? The seriousness of Christian commitment. What have we actually believed Have we believed this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or are we neglecting it? The only way this can be accomplished is by paying more attention to the word of God and the word of salvation. And it is wonderful news, the gospel, but it presupposes some bad news. And the bad news is the devastation of sin and the dominion of sin and the power of sin. So as always in the Bible, God graciously is giving us in this book positive and negative incentives. So that you embrace this great salvation. So that you embrace the Savior. Negatively, it says that if we drift away, we're going to perish. John 3.16 says that. In this manner, God loved the world that he gave his only one unique son. That whoever believes in him will not. There it is. But will have eternal life. That's no different than what this text is saying to us. But positively, he says that this word is such that how could anyone not want to linger in it? And love it and long for it. Why? Because it reveals to you the Lord Jesus Christ and this great salvation. The one it reveals is the creator of the world. He's the upholder of all things. He's the heir of all things. He's the ruler of all things. He's at the right hand of the majesty of God. He's the purifier of all your sins. Why would you not want to trust him? How could we not want to pay attention to this word and consider him and fix our eyes upon him? Here's what Vodi Bakum said. Jesse sent this to me this week. Vodi said this It amazes me that we believe this, and he's got a colon, and then he says, That God would crush and kill his own son, but he'd let us slide. Let that sink into your heart and mind. Oh, folks, the severity of your sin cost the Lamb of God his physical life on the cross. And if if the the Lord God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up freely for us all, if you don't put your trust in Him, you're not going to slide. He's not going to let you slide. How can we neglect so great a salvation? The old song says it well, doesn't it? I tried to scratch it down when I walked in. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look... At the Savior. And that life is more abundant and true. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Or look into His face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. I love this one. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Amen. To God be the glory. The seriousness of Christian commitment and the glory of our awesome gospel. To God be the glory. Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. (sighs) Father, help us. Help me. It's interesting, the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect? The author, the writer of Hebrews, is putting himself right where the people are. Nobody will escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The law given by angels proved reliable. And they did not listen. And they received just retribution. How much more so when you actually, Lord Jesus, fulfilled the law. Your salvation that you paid for, what you gave in redemption is far greater than anything the law could have ever accomplished. And Lord, how will we escape that? If we neglect that so great a salvation. Father, if there's someone here today that is lost, may they receive that great salvation. May they understand the seriousness of their sin and the consequences and the glory of Christ to save us. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You are merciful, Father, for giving us this warning today. That if we don't pay attention, we'll drift. And if we drift completely away, we never were saved to begin with. It's a reminder that it's a real true warning to us and that we should not take the teeth out of the warning. We need to hear you cup your hands in the word and and holler out at us and say, turn back, turn back. Lord, help us to listen and heed your word today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing just as I am.
0: Just as I am with you. our heads and pray for those who the Spirit is dealing with now.
2: All right, church family, you can look this way. Mr. David, this is Mr. David Porter, and uh, Mr. Kathy Wagaman's dad, John's father-in-law, all right? And uh, he, I asked him, I said, Mr. David, you know Jesus as your Lord? And he said, yes, sir, absolutely. And he's following believers' baptism, and he wants to be a part of our church family, all right? So I introduce you to the newest member of our church, Mr. David Porter. and. Uh, Want you to get to greet him, all right? Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Look, I'm gonna have you walk out toward okay. Don. You know, you know Mayor Don? Not really. <laughs> I asked him if he knew you. He said, "Not really." All right. <laughs> uh, I thought everybody knew Mayor Don, didn't y'all? Yeah. So keep in mind the schedule. Don't get here at 5:25 undressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Without your back to Bethlehem stuff on, right? Make sure you get that on before you come into this building. Uh, don't try to get here at five, uh, 525. and think you can be in here by 525 with nothing on. It takes a while, you know, when you're big like me to pull that thing over you, right? Get your head fixed and hair and all that stuff. So see you at 530. Uh, David brought out a huge point. We scheduled Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we're going to do our best. When there's increments, if rain comes and it stops, we're going to hang in there, right? We'll do the best we can to get it in. We'll just pray that the Lord will let that happen. Amen. To God be the glory.
0: Hey, you know, we're going to sing before we go.
2: All right. Because we don't want to drift, do we? If anybody's moving,
0: they're drifting. (laughs) We We will remember. We will remember. We will remember. We will remember.